0: I'm excited to share with you a little bit about what God's been doing in my life and also with a ministry called YWAM. So YWAM, or Youth with a Mission, was founded in 1962. It was founded by two people. Their names were Lauren and Dorleen Cunningham. And they had a passion. They had a passion to see young people in the mission field. But at the time, there were people, there were young people that had passion but they didn't have the ability, the tools, and the teaching to be able to be effective in the mission field. So they started a ministry called YWIM, and now it sends out annually 28,000 young people from the ages of 18 to 25 each year, which is pretty incredible. But how I got started with YWIM is quite a story, because I had my life planned out. I knew what I was going to do. I was going to go to college, and it was in this little private college. I had received a scholarship. I was going to become an early education major because I love kids. And then God just kind of flipped everything upside down, and he gave me a very strong passion for girls who have been sex trafficked. And not only that, but he gave me like an overwhelming passion to know him and to make him known. So one day I was flipping through Facebook, and I happened to see this YWIM LA Youth with a Mission Discipleship Training School. And it was specifically focused on anti-trafficking. I was like, okay, I can do this. And so I called them up, and sure enough, it was a six-month program with three months of training in LA, and then three months of a potential overseas trip. And this was in the middle of COVID, so you can imagine like how everything was going. And actually what I heard later was that YWAM LA was the only YWAM base, and there are thousands around the world, but it was the only base in California that did not shut down because of COVID, which is pretty incredible because God wanted us there. And another really cool thing was that some of my friends who became very close friends and also helped with the ministry in different ways, they actually were going to go to other campuses. And so they were redirected to YWMLA. And I can not imagine what our team would be like without them. So this first slide is from the streets of Brazil. And you can kind of tell, like, we were required to wear masks um, pretty much 24-7. But we would go out on the streets in Brazil and also in the favelas. And we would talk with the kids. We'd talk with the girls. We'd talk with the um, just people that were like all around. It was like stepping out. We actually lived in the favela, um, which is a Brazilian slum. And so we would step out and be immediately in the mission field. Um, there would be people on the side of the street doing drugs. Um, especially late at night girls dressed for their um, trafficking business thing. Um, but it was such an opportunity to be able to just go up to people and talk with them. They were first very like surprised that we were in Brazil at all because like we were foreigners and it was in the middle of COVID. What were we doing in the middle of their favela? But that was an opportunity for us to share with them that they mattered, and that they were valuable, and that we love them, and that God did too. So, the next slide kind of shows a little picture of how our sleeping arrangements went. Life as a a missionary is very unique because you never know what exactly you're going to encounter. We moved over seven times during our time of um ministry in Brazil and also in Mexico. And it was quite the challenge at times, especially because I happened to be the one on my team who actually didn't get their luggage by the time that I got to Brazil. it was It got lost inside the American Airlines, and they never found it. It was actually three weeks of, after three weeks of borrowing clothes from my team, then I realized, oh, I have to buy everything right here where I am. So that was quite a challenge, but it was also a beautiful time of learning that God was my provider and that he did provide. And sometimes, here, I'm going to share a story. One of the the ways that he provided for me was we were doing street evangelism, and because It was very sad, but a lot of the doors for evangelism to trafficked girls were closed because of COVID. So God gave us different things to do. We did a lot of kids ministry and sports ministry and also street ministry. And so for street ministry, we were out one day and we were seeing like this group of ladies who were selling these clothes. we went out to them and I had a word from the Lord for one of them. And so I just gave her a word of encouragement, told her that she was like a pillar in the community, such an encouragement to the people around her. And then I was very encouraged to see that the ladies around her were like, yes, that is exactly who she is. And so I got to pray for her, and we had a very special moment there. And then I started looking through the clothes because... I was looking for clothes, and so I found this shirt, and it was like a black shirt. It said dance on it in Portuguese, and it had like little butterflies, and I was like, oh, this is so beautiful, but then my translator was like, you know, it's a little bit pricey. You can get better clothes somewhere else, so I'm like, okay, so I hung it back up, and I walked down the street to join my team, who had walked a couple blocks away. Well, I heard footsteps behind me, and the same lady that I had just prayed for came running up to me with a bag, and she said, this is for you, this is for you, in Portuguese. And so I opened the bag, and sure enough, there was the very shirt that I had just been looking for. And so that was just like one of the incredible ways that God provided for me. Um, He never let me go without, without what I needed. And it wasn't always what I wanted, but it was definitely what he had provided, and that was good enough. Um, the next slide kind of gives a picture of some of the things that we did. This was probably the most intense missionary training that we had. It was in this little mountain village up on the hills of Brazil, and we just spent time, like, talking to these girls and to the young people. They were so hungry for God. But our sleeping arrangements were inside the tiniest little house you can imagine, and we had one room, and we walked in, and we're like, oh man, this is where we're sleeping. And there's like barely enough room to put down a sleeping bag. I had a blanket. Um, So my bed is the one in the the pink in the corner. And uh, so one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and then someone's hidden underneath this blanket. So that would be eight. So all eight of us fit inside that room. And it was definitely a time where we, went, we got close as a team, not only physically, but also like spiritually. God drew us together because when you encounter hardship or when you're in the less than ideal circumstances, then that is when like you actually see, okay, why am I here? And you start asking yourself those questions. And so it was quite an interesting time and we enjoyed it so much. It was incredible. And then over here on this side, you can see a little bit of the, um, one of the ministries that we did was fill like these food boxes and take them to the kids and to the people at this huge mega church. And so we spent hours filling food boxes. Then we would give them to the people and they would be like walking through a line. My favorite job though was to be the hand sanitizer person. Because if you were the hand sanitizer person, you got to see every single person that walked through the doors. And there were hundreds. (laughs) And so it helped me because I got to use a little of my very limited Portuguese. And it also gave me the opportunity to be able to just talk with them and just, yeah, share with them that they mattered and that we cared about them. And that this was just one of the ways that God was also caring and providing for their needs. Um, another story from this church was how we got to that church it's quite interesting and quite entertaining um, though at the time it definitely wasn't <laughs> what happened was we got inside Uber's and we were going to take a about four or five hour drive to this church and we had an address and the Uber driver had it and it started to rain and rain inside um, Brazil is just like It's either the light drizzle, or it's just pouring down. And this time, it's pouring down. And the streets in Brazil are not very nice. And so there were a lot of potholes and a lot of just giant puddles. And so we were inside the car going through the streets. And um, and then our Uber driver got onto the interstate, started driving. And then he decided he was going to go off the interstate and take a back road. So he went off the interstate, drove down the off ramp, And there was this giant puddle in front of us, like huge. I'd never seen it. It looked like a little lake. And so we're like, okay, what is he going to do? Because we can't speak to him. We don't know Portuguese. He only has the address, right? And so he said, and so he like starts talking to us in Portuguese. And we're like, oh, we do not understand you. We're so sorry. (laughs) And so apparently he was telling us he was turning around. So he turned around. And then proceeded to drive up the off-ramp on back onto the interstate. <laughs> we were just sitting in the back holding hands going, God, please protect us. <laughs> it was quite the experience. But that wasn't the end of our very exciting night. We arrived at our destination, and it was this really nice restaurant. We're like Ex- I know we're supposed to arrive at a church, and this is a nice restaurant. And he's like, okay, get out of the car. And we're like, oh, shoot. And so we get out of the car, and we look basically like refugees, because we got like our pillows, we got our backpacks, we got our food for the week, and we walk into this lovely restaurant, and everyone turns to look at us. We're like, We are soaked, (laughs) and we have everything on us. But the people that were in charge of the restaurant were very hospitable, and they brought us into a back room and (laughs) said, you can sit down all your stuff over here. This is fine. And so we sat down. And then my team leader's phone was dead, and so we found a way to um, charge it and then contact our other team, who was having quite the same adventure. They almost got dropped off at a very seedy-looking restaurant, a gas station, somewhere in the middle of Brazil. (laughs) So, we were very happy when we finally got together, but when we did get together, then we walked into the room and saw this. So, (laughs) it was quite the night, to say the least. But God was so faithful, and he helped us so much during that time. The next slide is... Just pictures of the different kinds of ministry that we were blessed to do. Um, We did a lot of kids ministry. God had anointed our team for kids ministry. And so from the time that we woke up to the time we went to bed, we put in at least five or six hours of going into the favelas, finding the kids, bringing them into a place, and then using our translator, who by the way was incredible. His name is Gabrielle. And I had learned inside about two years, three years now, I had gone to this leadership academy called In The Gap. And while I was there, then I had learned all about what it meant to teach kids. And one thing that they had told us was that if your energy level is here, the kids is going to be here. But if your energy level is here, the kids is more likely to be here. So I tried to explain this to my translator. And I'm just like, okay, just do whatever I do, okay? (laughs) He was amazing, because he did. He did whatever I did, and he um, did a good job of it, too. And so, um, let's see. It's 10.05. I have till 10.20, right? Okay, cool. I'm going to share with y'all a story that I told the kids, okay? Excuse me. So this story is about identity and finding our identity and our worth and our value and who God says we are and not what other people say. There once was a farmer and this farmer, he planted two seeds. He planted an apple tree seed and he watched it grow and he watched it just like become into a beautiful plant and he watered it and he tended it. And then on this other side, He planted an orange tree and he watched it grow and he planted and he tended it too. And every day he would come up to his trees and he would say, orange tree, you are the most beautiful tree ever. I value you so much. I have so much purpose for your life. You are incredible and I have an incredible plan. Then he'd go to his apple tree and he would say the same things. You are so valuable to me. You are so smart. You are so important to me. And he would watch them and with his words, they grew because words of life make people make plants grow. And so they would grow and their roots would go down deep and their trunks would get nice and thick and their branches would come out and their leaves would come and then they would bear ripe, beautiful fruit. Well, one day, the farmer had to go on a journey. So everyone says goodbye to the farmer and the two trees were standing there just looking at each other. And the apple tree started thinking. He started asking himself, you know, maybe the farmer doesn't have enough love for both of us. Maybe, maybe he can only love one of us. And if he can only have enough love for one of us, I want to be that one. (coughs) So, one day, he looked over to the orange tree and he told the orange tree, you know, the farmer really doesn't love you. The farmer doesn't really think you're special. You're not that valuable at all. Like, you're you're fruit. Like, people could care less about you. You're worthless. You're stupid. And you will never amount to anything in this world. Well, first, the orange tree turned to the apple tree and he said, no, I know what the farmer said. The farmer said I'm valuable. The farmer said I'm loved and that I'm treasured and that I'm important. And that you have a purpose for my life. But day after day, the apple tree would continue to speak these words of death into the orange tree. And after a while, the orange tree started to believe them. And when he started to believe those, then they went into his mind, and his roots started to shrivel up, and his trunk got thin, and his branches started to fade, and the leaves fell to the ground, and his fruit fell to the ground as well. the orange tree was dying. Well, one day, the farmer came back. He walked up the hill to see his two trees, and he was astonished because his orange tree looked like it was dead. He went up to his orange tree and he said, orange tree, what is the matter? Why, why are your leaves falling? Why are your fruit gone? And the orange tree t- just turned his head and said, you don't care about me. I'm not. You're a liar. Everything you told me was a lie. I don't have any value. I don't have any worth in this world. I might as well just show all of them down. Well, the farmer looked at the orange tree and he said, Orange tree, who has been telling me these lies? Whoever it is, they are not the one who created you. I'm the one that can define your value because I am the one that planted you as a seed. I am the one that tended you as you grew, and I am the only one that can speak the words of truth into you. But you have to choose to believe them. Well, day after day, the farmer would come back to his orange tree, and he would continue to speak words of life into him. And day after day, the orange tree would turn away and say, no, you're not my farmer, you're not. You're not part of who I am. You don't really value me. Well, after a while, the orange tree started thinking, maybe, maybe I really am valuing Maybe what the farmer says can trump everything that the other trees are telling me. Maybe he's right. And when he started doing that, then he started believing the truth. And as he believed the truth, his roots grew down and they found water, and his trunk grew huge again. These branches grew out and these leaves um, sprouted on the branches and he started to bear beautiful fruit. And he became what the farmer had known that he always could be. So one day the farmer came up to the orange tree and he said, Orange tree, can you let me know who it is that told you all these lies? And the orange tree was like, well, it was the apple tree that told me that I wasn't valued or that I wasn't perfect that I didn't have purpose. But I don't believe him anymore. I believe you. And the farmer said, Thank you. I appreciate that. And he went over to Apple Tree and he said, Apple Tree, what what was this? Like why did you speak words of death into the orange tree? What is the purpose and the meaning behind all this? And the orange tree said, Oh I was afraid. I was afraid that you did not have enough love for both of us that I could not be as special to you as the beautiful orange tree. I was afraid that I didn't have the importance to this world, and so that's why I told him those lies. Well, the farmer said, or apple tree, I am the creator, and I know just how many trees i planted. And I have enough love for every tree that has grown inside my orchard. And you never have to fear that, you, that there is not enough love for you. There is enough love for all the ones that I create. And as the, orange, as the apple tree started to believe what the farmer had told him, he started to grow even more into the truth. And his roots grew down deep. Then, one day, he turned to the apple tree, to the orange tree, and he said, orange tree, it's true. He does have enough love for all of us. It doesn't matter like what we do or what we say or even if we hurt other trees. He still loves us. And the apple tree said, yes, I know it. I know it now. And no matter what other people or other trees say to me, I know that I am valued and that I am important and that I have purpose in this life. And so, both trees came together and they went to the forest and they told everyone from the bushes to the little shrubs to the giant oak trees that the farmer had enough love for them all. And they knew that they would one day become a beautiful, flourishing forest to bring glory to the farmer. And that's the end. <laughs> yeah. So basically, the story. And then I would um, try to explain to the kids, of course, and those kids were sharp. Like, you can see the, the story behind it, but just that the value that we have is not found in what other people say or call us. And for some of these kids, it was their own parents who were calling them worthless, who were calling them um, stupid, or calling them like they couldn't learn anything. And especially inside the favelas or the the places where these kids came. And this place here is actually called the Yellow House. And it's a place that's in the middle of this community. And the community itself is actually um, built on what used to be a trash heap. And the poverty in this place is unlike anything I've ever seen. No drinking water, no electricity, no plumbing, none of that. Just little shacks where these people and these kids live all their lives. And this place was built by missionaries to become a safe place, a safe haven for the kids, especially when things at home weren't going well whether abuse was happening, or whether they were just being told to get out. They would come to this place called the Yellow House, which was like a little fortress, and they would always be welcome here, and they would always have the opportunity to um, get good food and have good fellowship, and the teachers watching over them. There were close to 40 to 50 kids there when we first came. And we got to stay there all day, so it was about eight hours. And it was incredible. This little girl, her name is Maria, she hung, clung on to me from the very beginning as soon as we entered the gate of the place, and she didn't leave my side for the whole eight hours. And so we grew very close, and it was very special. It was actually after this that, um, that I went home, and God just like broke my heart for these kids and then he mended it back together as always he will and he told me that like he can care for these kids even when i can't and that he loves them and that they're valued by him and their lives matter so much so the next slide is a little bit about our team time so this is my team i there were eight people on my team and two team leaders and this is one of the things we got to see, Christ the Redeemer, it was incredible. And it's just such a beautiful, beautiful statue, but such a beautiful um, thought too, that it's over the city of Brazil, that God is just stretching out his hands and he has them in his hands. Um, the next slide was some sports ministry that we got to do. We went out and we got to talk with a bunch of um, older kids They were all tall, really tall. Like, (laughs) Brazilians are just tall. And so, also the newest thing was, like, this white hair bleaching their hair. It's very interesting. Um, But these are some of the kids in the mountain community that we went to as well. The next slide. This is my next step. So, there is a secondary school that Wyman puts out. The first school is called DTS, Discipleship Training School, and it is something that always um, is the foundation to anything at YWAM. And so that was the six-month school that I got to go through. This is my next step. The Y School, Worship, Intercession, Spiritual Warfare, and Evangelism. It's also a six-month school. Three months of training in L.A., going over each of these topics. And the last month. And the last three months is, next slide, is a mission trip to Nepal. Now, I'm really excited about the three months of training, but it would also be incredible to go to Nepal and be able to put to practice what we've been learning. During those three months, some of what we would be doing was talking and discipling the little churches um, in Kathmandu, which is the capital of Nepal. Um, we'd also be able to go up to the mountain villages and, um, and just send out, like, give them the word, give them the Bible, and teach them about, like, what it really means and how it can, they can apply it to their own lives. Basically, to know God and to make him known. So, my desire is to go to Nepal but there's this thing called finances that everyone has to deal with, apparently. And so I, um, this trip costs $4,000 in order to go after the three months. It's an optional trip, but I really want to go. And so I'm fundraising, and I'm raising money to be able to go to Nepal and share the Bible and share just God's word with these people. Because if anything that I've learned, is that God loves every single person. And it doesn't matter how small they are or how old they are. He has a plan for each and every one of them. And if we can be instruments to go to them and to tell them about how incredible he is and how much purpose he has for their lives, then why wouldn't we do it? And so, this next slide, yes, of course, (laughs) this. (laughs) But thank you. Thank you for listening, and thank you for supporting me, especially in prayer.